It's not Christmas unless you speak from Luke chapter 2. So look at Luke chapter 2. And I think many of you uh, probably have memorized this passage. One of the joys I had this past week was to attend our senior adult Christmas party. And uh, Miss Betty McIntyre did a beautiful devotional for us that night. And uh, she, she, she challenged us to just uh, recite Luke chapter 2. And I'm sitting there watching her, and she doesn't even miss a beat. She knows the whole thing. And I was sitting there struggling, to be honest with you, trying to find the words. But uh, we had a great time in that. All right. Sounds a little loud up here. But anyway, um, is it loud out there? Sorry about that. Yeah, tone me down a little bit. I'm, I got a little bit of voice. Anyway, all right, we're going to continue the series this morning, A Christmas Cameo. Now, it's a series that we brought out, and basically uh, the whole idea of a cameo as it relates to a play is when a prominent actor takes on a minor role in the story. Now, in the Christmas story, we find several characters who take on these minor roles but seemingly minor roles who present biblical life lessons. Now, last week, we looked at Zacharias, uh, John the Baptist's father, and today we're going to look at the shepherds. And of course, again, it's not Christmas unless you're talking about shepherds, right? So look on your outline. What kind of lesson can we learn from lowly shepherds? Look at the introduction there. The Christmas season can often create a conflict between the spiritual and the material. We know we should be thinking about God's wonderful gift of his son, and we ought to be performing unselfish deeds, but slowly our focus gets diverted to personal gain and material pursuits, which for some not only stays in that season, but carries out throughout the year. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at the shepherds this morning, and there's some valuable lessons we can learn from them, especially as it relates to our perspective and even this time of year. So if you will, look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 to kind of set up the sermon this morning, okay? Verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth and Judea into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. So to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, they traveled. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now I want you to think about this. Have you ever wondered why God chose to reveal the greatest message the world had ever heard to shepherds? Have you ever thought about that? Why them? What's the big deal about those guys? Now, being a shepherd was a common, but a very lowly, smelly, unglamorous job. I think sometimes when we think of sheep, we think of these fluffy little white creatures that that are cuddly and and you just kind of want to lay down on one of them or something, you know, But, but really they stink. They're just like any other animal. And matter of fact, their hair gets matted, and, 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 and you, don't know, you don't want to know what goes on on the other end down there when things get matted. I mean, there's all kinds of issues with sheep. 
And it's not the glamorous job that sometimes I think we think it is. Matter of fact, the Mishnah, which was a Jewish book that instructed leaders of the Jewish faith in that book, it was first century book, in the book, shepherds were considered outcasts, ranking them just above leopards in the social order of the first century. Now think about that, on the bottom of the chain. And so the shepherds did not even have a place in the worship at the temple. Many were considered employees of the temple, keeping watch over the sheep who would be sacrificed at the temple. Now, what's interesting about shepherds is they actually were a part of the business and the economy of the temple itself. Anytime there was a Passover, it's estimated that as many as 200,000 animals are killed and sacrificed. So therefore, if you were to go, especially around the time of the Passover, and you went through the Judean hills, you would see shepherds everywhere. You'd see sheep everywhere, especially around Bethlehem, which was only eight miles outside of Jerusalem. And so this was a common scene to see shepherds. Matter of fact, if you go to Israel today, you can ride on a, on a bus and, and be taking tours. And guess what you can see just outside the window? You can see shepherds 2,000 years later, exactly the way they were in the first century, keeping sheep. It's amazing. Nothing's really changed there. And so you see that God has chosen to make them, those who the, that would receive the first announcement of the Messiah's birth, not to the kings and priests, but to these night watchmen who took care of the sheep. So what are the lessons that we can learn from them? Look on your outline. First of all, the shepherds, they pursued the spiritual over the material. There was just something about them that night that caused them to possibly change their whole views. They were probably just like any of us. They, they were people who were trying to, to, to excel and move on, at, maybe even quit being a shepherd and move up the career ladder, so to speak. But here's what's interesting. How do we know that they chose the spiritual over the material? Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there... We're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah is here, basically. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to, the, to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, listen to this, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. You know what they were saying? Heaven has once again opened its doors. Now heaven is speaking. And guess what? He's come, they've come to us. God has revealed himself to us. So going to find the little Savior presented, however, a problem for the shepherds. In spite of all the excitement, they still had to do their job. And part of the job was to never leave sheep unattended. However, the shepherds left their livelihood. They left the material to pursue the spiritual. I want you to think about this as it relates to us. From the time we are born, 
We are trained by the materialistic philosophy of this world. All of our lives, we have been bombarded with advertisements that breeds a desire for more. Even at school, many educators, maybe even our parents told us, you need to get a good education. You need to make good grades to, to pursue a promising career and make money and, and have everything, the best things this world can offer. And sometimes that can be a little misguided. Sometimes it's not what it all seems to be. It's interesting. People all around us, they get things and have things. And many times we desire those things, which for many of us, it creates envy and competition in us. The Christmas season has the potential to intensify these feelings. I mean, I've told you this every year, but you know, when you go to the mall or when you start looking on your iPad or whatever and shop on, you don't realize you need things until what? Until you see things. And all of a sudden, what happens when you go to Christmas shopping? All of a sudden, you're out there, and you got, you got your allowance for Christmas, and you go into the mall, or you go into wherever you buy, Marshalls, or wherever it may be, and you walk in there, and you're ready, and all of a sudden, all of this looks nice. Well, honey, who's that for? For me. <laughs> I thought you are getting Grandma's gift. Well, she can wait. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that whole idea that we go and, and we pursue and we see deep in our hearts. We know that things really don't buy happiness. Salaries don't measure success and relationships are more important than anything. But while we know these things are true, we get drawn into the current of the world with it squeezing us into its way of thinking. And yet Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, what does he say? Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you in to, to what it's after, its pursuits, its ideas of happiness and joy and peace. Don't, don't fall for that. Jesus made it clear when he said this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money or material pursuits. At the same time, you, those both cannot be your pursuits in life. So why is it that we live in a society in which everybody seems to have more than the rest of the world? I mean, we are blessed when it comes to that. But sometimes our blessings can become curses if we don't know how to handle it. And what's interesting about that is that there's nothing wrong with having material things. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with it. Many of the people in the scripture were wealthy people. But the thing that sets it apart is that whole idea of constantly pursuing, that your drive in life is towards something. That's where it can go wrong. And if it's all about having more and getting more and having this experience and this and, and trying to find peace and trying to find joy in those things, we know that pursuing the things with everything that we have will still leave us empty. But when we follow the heart of God, Sometimes we can go after the heart of God and there can be things that are added into our lives and there can be those blessings into our lives. But here's the question this morning. What, what are you driven towards? What, what takes your focus all the time? What, 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 what makes you feel, hey, I gotta, what is it? Is it the spiritual or the material? One indecisive person was asked this question. Would you rather be poor and happy or rich and miserable. He thought for a moment and said, I'd rather be semi-rich and slightly moody. <laughs> I think that's probably where many of us would fall. We, we don't want the miserable life, but 
The first step to overcoming materialism is to decide what will you pursue in life? Joshua told the Israelites, he's standing there. He's just taking charge. Moses has just passed. And it's that whole idea. He's like, hey, guys, we got to make a choice. This is going to be a tough choice. And here's what he says. Choose you this day who you will serve. Who will you serve? Will it be God or will it be the materialistic things of our society that we are pursuing and drawn to? A second lesson we can learn from the shepherds is they abandoned the familiar for the unusual. They basically, if you really look at the story, they got out of their comfort zones to pursue something that was greater. You know why we don't really necessarily excel in our spirituality sometimes or excel in what God has for us? Is we get very comfortable. How many of you love comfort? Oh, yeah. I went into a uh, mattress store the other day. I may have told you this, but I'm still intrigued by this. I walked in there. This blew me away. Did you know they have mattresses for almost $17,000? I'm serious. I walked in there. I was like, are you kidding me? It's like, no, it's got this. It's got that. You can, you can basically wet the bed and you'll be okay. No, they don't have that. <laughs> they don't have anything like that. But, but it, it just blew my mind that you could spend as much as $17,000 on a bed. And, uh, of course, I, I'm actually drawn to that. But anyway, <laughs> I couldn't believe how that bed worked. But, but here's what's amazing about that. So many times our comforts, and we talked about this before, and our conveniences mean more to us than anything. And y'all, that's where we can miss many times what God has for us. You see, these shepherds, they're pretty comfortable out there on the hillside taking care of sheep. That's what they knew. To go in and engage something like that. I mean, these were considered the outcasts of society. And all of a sudden, they had to leave what they knew to go after something they had never seen before that just totally blew their mind. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 16. And they came. This is right after the angels left. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Comfort is the enemy of accomplishing and doing great things for the kingdom of God. Comfort, if you think about it, has a me-first attitude. We are called to live for something greater than what this world offers. And, and on that evening, the shepherds went to find it. They said, there's got to be more. Genuine worship, I heard this this week, genuine worship reminds us that we have died to this world and this world is not our home. That there's something greater than this world. You see, and we know this, we brought nothing into this world. And guess what? We're not taking anything with us. It's, it's amazing the concepts that we believe that await us on the other side. The pyramids. you know the reason the pyramids were even built? It's so the pharaohs could carry things of this world to the other side. If you go and you look and you study what was the intent of the pyramids, and now I'm not talking about the alien aspect of it and all that. I'm talking about just them themselves, what they were thinking. They believed they could put their riches around them and, and somehow transport it to the world to come. And we know that's not possible. I guarantee you that those shepherds did not go into the stable that night looked at the, sa the Savior, the baby Jesus, and then all of a sudden their attention was drawn in the corner. Wow, look at that sheep over there. I bet that's at least a 140-pounder. That's 50 cents a pound. Boy, that's probably worth $70. 
I guarantee you that's not how the story went down. We know it didn't because we can read it. No, their affections and their thoughts were on the one who could change the world, the one who could change them. But for that to happen, they had to leave the familiar for the unusual. They had to leave their comfort zone. They had to literally, listen, they had to take a risk to leave those sheep there to go and see what more God had for them. A third lesson we can learn from the shepherds. They discussed the eternal over the temporal. They discussed the eternal over the temporal. How many of you are sick and tired of the things that we talk about sometimes? How many of you are sick and tired of politics at this point? Oh my goodness. Everybody's got an opinion about everything. Uh, one story in, in, in basketball, it's been going around for years. If I hear it one more time, I'm going to scream. I already know the answer. Who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Who cares? I know Michael Jordan was. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's that whole concept of, of, of what is out there, what we're talking about. And y'all, that stuff really means nothing in and of itself. Did you know that? It means nothing. I want you to see what happened with these shepherds. Basically, the shepherds deepened their conversation. Look, look at Luke chapter two. Look at verse 17. Now, when they had seen him, the babe, the savior, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. All of a sudden, the conversation was not about how much they could get for a certain sheep. All of a sudden, it wasn't about how they're being mistreated in society. It, it was not about who the Caesar Augustus was appointing to the region. It had nothing to do with that. All of a sudden, the only thing that mattered to them was what they saw, what God got their attention about, that a Savior had been born. Hey, the one we've been waiting for, he's here. Let me tell you about it. The shepherds began to talk about things that really mattered in life. On the way back to the flock, the talk, again, was not about the weather, not the price of wool in that, at that time. I hope the sheep are okay. On that evening, they chose to talk about the eternal over the temporal. Look at the fourth lesson from the shepherds. They traded an old perspective for a new outlook. How many of you sat and wondered... I've recently done this. How many of you have sat and wondered about the world's influence about your perspective? Have you ever sat there and wondered how the world was manipulating you or certain news channels were manipulating you or the way news is presented is manipulated? Have you ever, have you ever sat down and just said, okay, I'm not going to take everything with a gr I'm not going to take everything what they say. I, I really need to analyze what I'm hearing here. And really look at it from a biblical point of view. Because that's, that's the life I've chosen, to live for Christ. And his view matters. His perspective matters more than anything. Have you ever taken, just taken a step back and said, you know something? Where's my perspective really coming from? Have you ever thought about just removing media in your life for 30 days? Just to see what happens in your mind. See what happens in your heart. See what really matters. You see, what we, we don't really understand, especially my generation and, and going backwards even more, we don't really understand what it means to have our own perspective. If you think about it, everything we look at, everything we listen, they're telling us the perspective we should have. Have you noticed that? 
And some of us are buying into the wrong perspectives. And it goes for all of us. And we need to analyze. We need to evaluate. We need to look and say, what kind of perspective is really influencing me? I'm called to have the perspective of Christ. I'm called to have the perspective of the eternal over the temporal. You ever been around those people and you have a certain perspective and then you, you start hearing them talk and you realize your perspective is totally wrong? There was a couple of gentlemen in my life, especially years ago. And I used to, how many of you got those people you just know you can go whine to and it'll be all right? They, they'll let you whine. You ever been that? Well, there's this one gentleman in particular. I used to meet him for lunch occasionally. And, and sometimes I'd go just to see how off my perspective was. I'll be honest with you. And I'd sit down and I would sit there and just talk about everything, whether it was politics or whatever it is. What in the world's going on with the world? You ever ask that question recently? And, and, just, and, and he just sits there with his hands folded and grins from ear to ear and and then he takes me to a whole different place to say, you know, this is not really where our perspective is born and raised. Our perspective should be over here. And he doesn't come out and say, this is what you need to be thinking. He just says how he deals with it. And I'm so convicted by it. You ever been around people like that? Don't they make you sick? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's something refreshing about that. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 20. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You see, they basically returned to their jobs with a different attitude, a new outlook on life. Those things that bothered them before wasn't necessarily bothering them like they did. And all of a sudden, the perspective, the new outlook occurred. They began to see something. They began to see that God was once again at work. And it began to change how they saw things. The things that were important were not as important anymore. Now they were ambassadors of hope. Paul once wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Here's what he said. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is now insignificant. It's dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Now, some of you are like, I don't remember those verses. It's from the message. <laughs> it's a little paraphrase. So really, here's the question. What are we truly pursuing in this life? I want you to turn from Luke 2. I want you to go to Colossians chapter 3. Let's bring this sermon home. Where, is this, where should this sermon take us? Well, Paul's going to tell us, I believe, in Colossians chapter 3. As you turn, listen to this. Recently, I heard that someone told a graduating class this. This is good. Someday, you're going to meet someone who doesn't care much for wealth and its pursuits. And then you're going to realize how poor you really are. I mean, that really speaks. You say, how does it speak? Well, <laughs> and I've said it before, go to a third world country. Go and, and especially find the Christian community that's there. And you will find something that will challenge you more than anything America offers. It's Christians who love the Lord, who wear their smiles, who are, who are who what we think are in desperate situations. They may even be finding trash in, in the garbage heaps. 
I mean, food in the garbage heaps. They may be trying to, and it just blows your mind that with so little of what we call blessings in our lives and no comforts at all, no conveniences at all, but yet they sit there, yes, I know the Jesus. I know the Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And they have a testimony. It's just so beautiful. And you walk away scratching your head saying, you know, if this was my lot in life, if this is where I was, would I still be able to praise his name? And that's when you realize just how poor you really are. You see, our perspectives, our outlooks can be so misguided. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 instructs us on how we can follow the example of the shepherds by trading an old perspective for a new outlook. And the first thing he says uh, as we move towards that, look on your outline, is pursuing. Pursuing. What are you pursuing? Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Pursue those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You know what's interesting about that verse? He's saying not only to pursue, not only seek those things which are above, that are eternal. He's telling you how you should see it. Where's Christ? Where does it say he is? He's sitting. What does it say? Look at what it says. Sitting at the right hand of God. You know what that is? That is a picture of authority. That is a picture of authority. He's saying you, when you look, you don't just look at the eternal. You look at the authority that it has in your life. And you pursue that. That's what he's telling us. Then, how are we going to change this old perspective for a new outlook? Thinking. We're not only pursuing, but number two, we're thinking. It all comes about. What, what are we, what's our minds on? Verse two, set your minds on things above, not on the things on the earth. That's the reason when I go have lunch with my friends sometimes and, and I'm up there and I'm whining and I'm complaining and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Where's my perspective coming from? It's earthly. Many times it's material. And he says, let's look at it this way. Boy, it's convicting at times. But boy, it's such a joy to have those people in your lives that show you, help you to realize, yeah, you're looking at this wrong. Next, renouncing, renouncing. Colossians chapter three, verse three, Paul's, he's really telling us, how do we get a new outlook? He says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a whole different place. You're not just out there hanging out there on your own. You're not just out there trying to survive and, and try. No, 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 no. Your life is hidden in Christ with God. We're, we're in Christ, but then God's there. Trading an old perspective for a new outlook requires, fourthly, focus or focusing. Where's your focus? Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What kind of, what kind of struggles are you going through right now? Your struggles tell a lot about, how you handle your struggles tell a lot about where you are, what your perspective is. If it's woe is me and self-pity, and by the way, I've been there. I, I, I have been there. I'm not, I'm not passing judgment. I, I've been there myself. I probably lived a lot of my life that way. But I'm here to tell you that's the wrong perspective. 
You see, our focus is not on what this world brings in our lives and the suffering of this world. But you know what happens when suffering, you know what I've said recently? You know what happens when suffering comes into our life? That's all we see. That's all we see. It's the wrong perspective. You may be sitting there saying, well, wait a second now. <laughs> That's all I see. Well, quit seeing what you're seeing. <laughs> Redirect your focus. Put it on the fact that this world is temporary. There's an eternal life out there. There's something greater to come. Put your focus there. What does he say? When Christ, who is our life, appears, he's coming back. He's going to deliver us from all this. Next, trade an old perspective for a new outlook. It's changing. It's the idea of changing from earthly passions and pursuits. Look at what Paul says in verse 5 of Colossians. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, those things that lead you astray, those, those yearnings, those desires, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked. He's saying that's what your life was before. That was your old perspective when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you have put off the old man, which is, in, which is his deeds. It's his perspective. It's his outlook on life. So what are we going to do? We're going to change from earthly passions and pursuits to heavenly passions and pursuits. Look at Colossians 3.10. Paul says, if there's really going to be some change, you're going to take that old man off, but you're going to put on the new man. He says, and have him put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Jew, Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian nor Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We're all in this together. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter who we are, where, where we come from. Therefore, as the elected God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are called in one body, and be thankful Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you hear a little different perspective there? You say, how do you get shepherds in that? Well, I'm here to tell you there was something that happened in their life that night that they will never forget. There's something that happened in their life that night. They may have never heard Colossians chapter three, but let me just tell you, they began to live Colossians chapter three. Their lives are gonna be changed forever. So look on your outline real carefully. I'm gonna give you some extra words here. Trade an old perspective for a new perspective. You see the word pursuing? Put driven beside it. I'm gonna give you some D words, okay? Driven, okay? All right. Beside thinking, put discovery. There's that whole idea that we're driven as we're driven into God's word, as we are driven to move in this new outlook. There's a discovery. What is the discovery? What happens in our thinking? There's transformation when we renew our minds, when we take away the old perspective and say and call it what it is and say, no, I'm choosing this new perspective. Next, renouncing. That's declaration. I'm not what, I'm not what I used to be. 
I'm a new creation in Christ. It's a declaration. And then start living it. It's amazing how many verses we can quote that say all the right things, but yet they're not a reality in our life. Focusing. That's the whole idea of determination. Determination. Anybody remember those birthing classes you took with your spouse? You remember us talking about this before? You remember the focal point? Guys, let me just tell you, well, some of us are kind of past that age in this room. <laughs> Never make the focal point between your eyes or anywhere on you personally, okay? Because you're going to get some looks. It's going to horrify you. She's sitting there and all of a sudden the focal point and she's going through some pain. It, it, it'll, it, it'll blow your mind what that, I mean, it, put it somewhere else. Put the focal point somewhere. <laughs> no, but here's what I mean by that. It's that whole idea that no matter what comes into my life, no matter what kind of pain, what kind of suffering, what it is, my eyes are directed on Christ, that he is enough, that his word is enough, that the provision of God is enough for my life. And so I'm not focusing on this world. The problem with most of us in this room is when suffering hits our lives, when the, the things of this world hits our lives, when the materialism hits our lives, we begin to focus on all those things. He says, no, set your mind on things above. Make a declaration that I will refuse to look and focus on the things around me. I'm looking above, and there's a determination that comes with that that leads, look on your outline, to a change of direction, a change of direction from earthly passions and pursuits to heavenly passions and pursuits. So here's the application this morning. What is your most prized possession are you mo or, or what are you pursuing most in this life? What is it? Some of you, your prized possessions, you may be sitting there thinking, it's someone. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's your wa wife, your husband. Whatever it may be. What are your prized possessions? What are your, what are your pursuits in life? Listen to this. The answer to these questions reveal much about who you are. Your life, listen, must be more than the accumulation and maintenance of stuff. Just as the shepherds, an encounter with Jesus, what does it do? It changes everything. The true gift of Christmas and life, listen, was found in a manger. And Jesus once said this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid it. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field because the treasure's in it. That's a different perspective. The treasure is Jesus Christ. The treasure, listen, that night when the, when the, when the shepherd shows up, the, the treasure was not anywhere but in that manger. That was the treasure. That's the reason when we come together at Christmas, the only thing that matters is what's in the manger. We may have the stories of Zacharias, uh, the John the Baptist's father. We may have the story of Elizabeth. We may have the story of Mary and all the great actors that are in this play. But let me just tell you this. The main character, the person of Christmas is the baby in the manger who grew up, listen, to be the man that would change perspectives. And hopefully he's changed yours. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me just tell you about your perspective. And you say, boy, you're bold for saying that. I, I am, I'm basing this on the authority of God's word. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the wrong perspective about this life. It's not about this world, it's about the world to come. 
And, and let me say this. Maybe you're a Christian that's here today. And, and y'all, I, it's amazing how quick we can lose perspective, isn't it? Have you, have you noticed what I'm talking about? Again, we go into the mall. We're, we're looking for a sweater for grandma. And it becomes all about us. Boy, these pants will look good on me. Or this look, I, man, I got to have that. That's just, that's simplistic in that thinking. But listen, our perspective can change on the dime. And it's not just a matter of clothes and materialism. Our perspective can lead us down so many bad paths. Some of you are living proof of that. You've got a past like we all do. But let me tell you something. Don't let your past bind you up and just defeat you and put you in despair. Because the babe lion in the manger is the one that came to to, to rectify all that, to fix that. It's by his blood that was shed that we have salvation, that there is forgiveness of sin. That's the reason we need the right perspective. So I don't know where you are this morning, but we're getting ready to sing a hymn of invitation together. And myself and two other pastors are going to be down front. We want you to do what God's called you to do. Would you do that this morning? Would you just respond to him? If you need someone to pray with you, we're here. Just do what God's calling you to do. Father, we just come to you now, and we thank you so much for your word. And, Father, we just want to be, we want to be challenged by it to the point that it changes us. It transforms us. And, Father, I don't know who's here this morning who needed this word, but, Father, I know that we've been praying for this service. And we, we prayed before we came in here. We prayed while we were in here. And, Lord, now we just want you to invade the hearts of those that are here this morning. Give us your perspective. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us this morning?